Good morning and welcome to Laurel Heights. We continue to thank God for good people who have the desire to worship God and be encouraged by others who come here with that same good purpose. We invite you to return at 5 when I'll be preaching on faith, love, and hope and how all of that is connected in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This morning, have your Bible ready in Joshua chapter 5 and then in Joshua chapter 6. And I'll take a moment or two and introduce what we're going to consider this morning. So the first Sunday in January, I started a series of what will be 12 sermons this year focused on the grace of God. Grace is God's to give, ours to receive and live in. But grace isn't just something God gives, it is, it is who God is. I hope it is clear, all truth about God calls for a corresponding obedient response of faith on our part, and the grace of God does that. But what is the grace of God? Why is there such an emphasis all through the Bible on the grace of God? How does God's grace obligate me and motivate me and influence me? Is this just a salvation topic? How did Jesus exhibit and convey God's grace? These are not merely matters of academic interest. These are subjects addressed on the pages of Scripture and I'm going to address them in this series during the year. I believe a solid biblical understanding of the grace of God is crucial to our grasp of who God is, what He offers, what He expects of us, what we need from Him through Christ to be able to prepare for eternity. The grace of God is first introduced to us in Scripture in Genesis. God did what He didn't have to do, speaking everything into existence and making human beings in His own image. And then in February, God's grace is truth that Noah found and that Noah responded to. As the flood approached, it is important, I believe, to see how God's grace was active and known and available during those dispensations before Christ came. Now, here's the scene in Joshua chapter 5 and 6. The Israelites are encamped at a place called Gilgal. And after the first Passover in this territory, they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan, and they're preparing now to go into Jericho. And this is what happened. I'm in Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. 
And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, the narrative previous to what we've read in Joshua 5 leaves no doubt that the people of Israel were living under high levels of anxiety and anticipation. Joshua was human. His mind was racing, I assume. He doesn't know exactly how all this is going to work. He wants to be strong and courageous, but there are some very human reasons to perceive and imagine in his mind personal apprehension. Long anticipated, the Israelites are finally able to enter the land promised to Abraham. And they're going to enter that land under the leadership of God's leader, Joshua. But how is all this going to work? God takes care of that right here in this event to calm the mind of Joshua. And it occupies only three verses. What is depicted here is an appearance of deity in a personal encounter with Joshua. It seems to be the perfect response to any anxiety that might have rested in the mind of Joshua. Before any major encounters, Joshua's mind needs to be drawn to what this is all about. The Israelites are finally able to make this move. And God, in this last part of chapter 5, is responding to one of the first strongholds. And that would be the mind of the leader. Joshua saw with his physical eyes... The form of a man standing before him with this drawn sword in his hand. But then there comes a time when Joshua recognizes this is a time to worship. He fell to the ground and worshiped. And he said, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy, and Joshua did so. Deity calming the mind of Joshua. I can't imagine, can you, how powerful the impact of this must have been in the mind of this great leader. God is enabling him very personally to be strong and courageous. This, in the latter part of chapter 5, was for Joshua, for his heart, for his mind, to strengthen and assure him before the actual battle. 
He would not be fighting alone. It was much more than just a human encounter. This is God's grace. This is God's grace extended toward Joshua and the people. Unmerited favor. And so, with the mind of the leader strengthened by the grace of God, we enter now into Joshua chapter 6. We're going to read it. You have that ready? Joshua chapter 6. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do so for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priest shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, <clears throat> when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up everyone straight before him. I'm at verse 6. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he calls the ark of the Lord to circle the city going about it once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and the priest took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp. So they did for six days. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua, 
said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction. Lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout. And the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him. And they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had spies went in, and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab, the prostitute in her father's household, and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Joshua laid an oath on them at that time, saying, Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds the city Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation, and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. I want you to imagine if Joshua had held a war council before this battle, I want us to imagine how that might have sounded. Joshua is at the head of the table, and he tells the men all about this fortified city, protected by a wall, with warriors on their towers, and a waiting army inside the gates. And Joshua says to the men, what are your ideas? I can imagine the men at the table saying, well, we need a ramp. Maybe several siege ramps to get our men over the wall into the city. Someone else says, yes, and we're going to have to have battering rams to crush open the gates and the door. Joshua is listening, but he has no battering rams, no siege ramps. His men had not been in long years of training for this at all. What did they really have? 
the most powerful weapon they had was they were equipped with God's promise and grace that required their simple obedience. The outcome was guaranteed from a gracious, generous God if they just followed some simple directions. The first statement from God in Joshua chapter 6 is, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. Once God tells you he's going to give you something, your response should be to do whatever he says to receive what he promises to give. Back to that war council meeting Imagine one of the men saying, Joshua, these instructions about marching in seven days and trumpets, has this ever been tried before? What precedent do we have? What history does this tactic have that tells us it's going to work? And then another man on the war council might have said, if we don't do anything for seven days, we're just giving them time to come in and kill us. When God gives instructions to follow, this is often what men and women do. They evaluate it instead of just following the directions. There is this long-standing propensity in man to take what God has said and then see what we think about it. See where we think it needs to be revised and edited and see what we like and what we don't like. And then, after all of our discussion and thought, we decide whether we're going to do it or not, what parts of it we're going to leave out. That's ill-conceived. Joshua chapter 6 is teaching us real faith never goes through a process of evaluating what the God of heaven says. Faith just believes in God and obeys Him. God's methods may be strange, untested by men, even maybe a little embarrassing, but that's where faith defeats human wisdom and emotion. And faith just acts. Now, it is true we cannot help but notice the strangeness of God's method. It did not escape the notice of the people then. Armed men, seven priests blowing ram's horns, the ark, the rear guard, the caravan that uh, circled Jericho day after day. God's normal pattern of work is through the instrumentality of his people, but sometimes he tests his people. He asked his people to do what men would never even think about doing. Only those with good depth of belief in God will do strange things. Because they know obedience to God is always good and right and will always have a positive outcome. Joshua chapter 6. I want to point out three things about this story as connected to the grace of God. Number one, computer is frozen. 
And that is strange. But before the song leader comes up, he'll come up and figure it out. Number one, Joshua gave the instructions exactly as they came from God. Joshua didn't take God's instructions and revise, adapt, omit, edit, or add. Jericho was destroyed in accordance with the instructions God gave to Joshua, which Joshua gave to the people just as they came from God. Men have no right to change anything God has said. It is presumptuous to think you can add to it or take from it or leave something out or revise something. In our recent studies in Galatians, at one place in chapter 2, Paul says, When you bind something God hasn't bound, you nullify the grace of God. A devoted appreciation for the grace of God must be accompanied by a devotion to his instructions just as revealed in Scripture, resisting any human efforts to rewrite it or misapply it. Number two, the promise to Rahab was kept. You may not like the kind of life Rahab had led before, but a promise was made to her because she kept the spies and that promise is a part of the story. In ordinary wartime, it may seem acceptable to men to deceive or lie or make promises that are not kept. Not with battles and conquests where God is in charge. The two spies had promised safety to Rahab. The scarlet cord was there and that promise was offered. When God is the commander-in-chief, every plan and every promise is to be executed according to His will, every promise kept. God's faithfulness and God's grace are combined in this Old Testament story. Number three, silence. I want you to think about being silent for six days. Have you ever done that? And then add to that this circumstance, this history. Their lips were not to speak a word while marching, moving with lots of people. There were soldiers and children to keep track of. There was a route to follow, likely hearing the taunts of the citizens of Jericho looking down from the top of the wall. It seems to men to be bizarre to be silent in that circumstance. An attacking force. Silence before God. Silence may be Silence may be one of the hardest parts of instructions to keep. Sometimes what we need to do is be silent, listen to God, and trust Him for victory. I want you to notice in Joshua 6, 26, and 27, Joshua's oath. 
Joshua laid an oath on them at that time saying, Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land. Joshua, I believe, is speaking from God when he issues this curse directed to anyone who would think of rebuilding Jericho, the curse would bring upon the rebuilder consequences within his family. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land. What I'm asking us to do this morning is to look at this account through the eyes of our confidence and knowledge of God's grace. Joshua, we consider to be a good man, but not perfect. Not one who merited the gifts granted to him, nor the people of Israel. Not worthy of such a gift. But look at Joshua 6 and verse 2. God says, I have given Jericho into your hand. That's unmerited favor. But though not equal to God's giving, the receivers had something to do. See, this is where people get off base about God's grace. It may be argued and is advocated strongly that you don't have to do anything to be saved and go to heaven. It's all grace. Well, it is grace, but remember, it's God's grace to give and ours to receive. Hebrews 11.30 Hebrews 11.30 summarizes what we've studied. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. God gave them the victory, but remember what God gives must be received by busy hands of obedient faith. We can achieve the victories God wants us to achieve if we will shut up and listen to what God says. It may sound crude. Shut up and do whatever God says. One man described the story, summarized it like this. The conquest is not a bunch of land-hungry marauders wiping out at the behest of their vicious God hundreds of innocent God-fearing folks. In the biblical view, the God of the Bible uses none too righteous Israel as the instrument of his just judgment on a people who had persistently reveled in their iniquity. May we dare to stand like Joshua. If you're not a Christian, God's grace offers salvation in Jesus Christ. If you've heard that and you believe it and will confess it in your repentance and your baptism and your faithful life thereafter, you become a recipient of God's grace. Let's be standing.